presents The Man in the Window by Nigel Banks, read by Jane Pulford. She never forgot the first time she saw him. It was one of those foggy evenings in early autumn, not long after the war. A real pea super. You don't get them like that anymore. Not since the Clean Air Act. She was walking along Corporation Street towards her tram stop after work. The ghostly shapes of other passers-by would suddenly loom into view and there would be that comical pantomime as both parties conducted an embarrassing chasse round one another before making onward progress. She didn't know what made her look across the road at that particular moment and notice him. She must have walked along that street dozens of times before but somehow failed to notice the small dress shop. And there he was, framed in the window, dressing a mannequin in what passed for the latest fashion. This was 1948 after all, and austerity was still in full swing, so most people could hardly dream of being able to wear haute couture, even if they could afford it. They had to make do with what was serviceable, to use one of her mother's favourite words. She stood watching him, transfixed by the delicate precision of his movements. His hands, with long piano player's fingers, dexterously pinned the fabric into the appropriate places. He handled the torso of the model with great tenderness as he gently altered the position of a wrist joint here or an elbow there. Once he was satisfied that the three-quarter length dress in blue rayon satin had been fitted to perfection, he took a couple of steps back and held the fingers of the mannequin's right hand whilst admiring his handiwork. He then nodded in approval, moved back in towards the model and planted a delicate kiss on her forehead. She was deeply moved by the gesture, but felt vaguely uncomfortable at the same time, as though she were intruding upon some private ritual. So for fear that the man might suddenly look out and catch her in flagrante, she quickly turned and walked on, her heart dancing. Now in her imagination she was wearing that dress, and the man in the window was handing her a cocktail in some fashionable bar in Paris or New York, He would be wearing a perfectly tailored double-breasted suit and Italian patent leather shoes, for they would be dancing the night away in the chicest of nightclubs. The clanking of the tram warned her of its approach and she was brought back down to earth. She could just hear her mother's derisory comments if she was foolhardy enough to mention her fantasy. You'd never fit into a dress like that, a great lump like you. And how many clothing coupons would you need to buy it? You only get 24 to last you the whole year, you know. You want to use them on something serviceable, like an overcoat or some new underwear. She was right, of course. What would a dapper man like him ever see in her? The lumpish girl with a florid complexion. To be rosy-cheeked was permitted as a child. My chubby-cheeked cherub, as her father had dubbed her. It was meant affectionately, but she grew to resent the label as she got older. She made it her habit from that night on to look at the dress shop window whenever she passed by, but to her disappointment, she did not see the man in the window again. The mannequin gazed coolly out at her in her lovely blue dress, the epitome of lifeless sophistication. So she took to walking briskly past with only a cursory glance, and as time went by, her fashion fantasy faded. Some six weeks or so later, she was making her customary homeward trek, when she saw him again. It was December now, and the window display was obviously being changed in time for the Christmas season. 
It was a clear, dark evening, so the lights in the shop window illuminated the man's actions like a stage show. He had disrobed the mannequin and was now in the process of replacing her blue satin outfit with a stunning plaid wool one-piece dress. It was an off-the-shoulder number in a rich, deep red colour. It looked very like the one she'd seen Jean Tierney wearing in Razor's Edge at the Palace last year with Doreen Wilmot, her colleague in the typing pool. Again, she was rooted to the spot, gazing intently at the window as though it were a silver screen in the cinema and he were Tyrone Power. In fact, he did look a bit like the film star. He had the same dark hair, glossy with brillantine and smooth olive complexion. Oblivious to his surroundings or the possibility that he might be being observed, he then took the model in hold and proceeded to twirl her around as though they were on a dance floor. They swayed this way and that and the skirt material sashayed obediently in time, giving momentary glimpses of the model's alabaster thighs. Immediately she was transported into her fantasy world again. He was guiding her around the dance floor with expert steps. She was floating on air to the sound of Ted Heath's big band in her head. She had found herself swaying in time with the couple, only to be jolted out of her dream by the realisation that he had stopped moving and was now looking directly at her. She immediately felt the colour rushing to her cheeks in embarrassment. His face broke into a broad smile and he bowed ceremonially towards her. She returned his smile with one of her own and applauded his performance. Unsure what to do next, she pointed at her watch, waved goodbye and set off towards her tram stop. After a few steps, she couldn't resist turning to have another look at him over her shoulder. He was still holding the mannequin with one hand while waving in her direction with the other. She committed the moment to memory and would relive it countless times in the weeks to come. As it happened, she would not return to the scene for several months as she succumbed to a severe bout of influenza which turned into bronchitis. She was confined to bed and her mother's cold comfort nursing regime at home for several weeks. The illness resulted in a considerable loss of weight and the chubby-cheeked cherub became instead a gaunt, pallid wraith which confronted her in the mirror. Her mother tut-tutted at the change, but she preferred the new look. Her clothes didn't fit her anymore, so she had to cinch her skirts in tightly with a belt. When she was eventually deemed fit enough to return to work, she couldn't wait to resume her daily viewing of the dress shop window in the hope that her Tyrone Power lookalike would give a repeat performance. But something had changed. The window was empty apart from a dismembered mannequin's arm lying forlornly on the floor. There was a small handwritten notice on the door announcing that, due to unforeseen circumstances, the shop was closed for business, but that it was hoped that it would reopen in the not-too-distant future. Naturally, she speculated on the cause of the shop's closure. Perhaps Tyrone had been afflicted with the same illness as her. Immediately her fantasy world took over and she saw the two of them occupying opposite beds and inks in an exclusive private sanatorium being cared for by nurses in pristine white uniforms. He had been admitted after her in a critical condition, so her fantasy morphed and she became his nurse, mopping his fevered brow and helping him to recover with her solicitous care. The images in her mind resembled a storyline from one of those tawdry hospital romance novellas Doreen Wilmot was always reading. But she didn't care. Her reverie occupied her all the way to the front entrance of her place of work and was soon left behind as she was welcomed back into the fold of the typing pool. 
As the days passed and the dress shop remained closed, all thoughts of the man in the window receded and were replaced with the blunt reality of work and the trivialities of office gossip. A few weeks later, however, on her way to work, she noticed a young woman in the dress shop window, busily fitting a mannequin with that familiar red wool off-the-shoulder dress. Despite the risk of being late for work, she entered the shop and with uncharacteristic boldness found herself inquiring about the man in the window. Oh, you mean Mr Solomon? replied the middle-aged woman behind the counter. I'm afraid he passed on, ooh, about three months ago now it must be. Ever so sad it was. Got knocked down on his way home one night. Thick fog it was. Must have lost his bearings. He was in the middle of the road when the tram hit him. Still, life goes on. I'm the owner here now, and that's my daughter doing the new window display. Very artistic she is. So what can I do for you? Without thinking, she said, I'd like to buy that red dress in the window. <laughs>